Amen. Well, I guess some of you guys were pretty excited about that ball game last night, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Carolina Tar Heels beat those Duke Blue Devils again. It was an awesome game. Yeah, but you saw what color I'm wearing today, right? So, listen, when you, uh, when, when you pay to put a kid through UT, you say go Big Orange. That's just the reality of it. Um, and we got more coming, so... Uh, Hannah is considering that as well. So uh, take your Bibles and join me in Joshua 1. We'll, we'll talk a little more about that in a bit. Joshua 1. So in two days, on Tuesday, a hundred of us, exactly a hundred of us, will be leaving to have a 12-day adventure in Israel, Jordan. And so as I was praying, Lord, lead me to something here that I could do because I didn't want to split up the next two-part message I had out of Hebrews 6. We will come back to Hebrews 6. We will finish it. Then we'll be off through the holidays. And then in January, we'll start back in Genesis in our apologetic study, Genesis Fact or Fiction. We'll talk about Noah and the flood and all of that great stuff and then uh, move sort of episodically through that book. But here's the deal. I was praying, Lord, give me a word. And I thought, well, what better thing to do than talk about the entrance into the very land we're going to be putting our feet in in a few days and uh, having been a few times now I'm telling you just it'll rock your world and change your life it makes you read the Bible differently you're seeing these things you're reading of you're you're down in the Jordan River and Jordan means down from Dan right at the very northern tip of Israel was a territory by the tribe of Dan and so the waters flow out of Dan and they create a, a lake in the middle, not quite the middle of the country, in the northern part of the country. And that lake, that lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee because the words sea and lake and water were used somewhat interchangeably in the time of Christ. But it's not very big, eight miles wide by about 13 miles long. And then the Jordan continues to flow through and just below the Sea of Galilee, we'll have a baptismal site for those in our group that want to be baptized in an area similar to where Jesus was. It flows through the wilderness and then it dumps into a sea which has no outlet. Again, not a real sea, but we call it the Dead Sea where the mineral deposits, particularly the salt, have collected. And so we'll go out into the Dead Sea and we'll float there for a while. And it's a pretty cool experience. But here's the thing. This is a land that the Bible has been talking about for generation after generation after generation. And what I got to thinking of is when Joshua and the children of Israel crossed that Jordan, the barrier, as water often is, sort of a border to a land, as they crossed in, the culture was totally different. I mean, they were God-fearers. At this point, this second generation was coming into God's promise, and they knew the one true and living God. But nobody in the land they were entering knew this God. In fact, I love the image that our graphic designer chose for my sermon title here, Courage in a Changing Culture, because you obviously know the skyline, but much like what our world is doing in 2022, it's flipped. It's upside down, because people are calling up, down, and down, up, and left, right, and right, left, and right, wrong, and wrong, right, and people are flipping the script all around, and what are Christians to do in an age like this? Have courage, stand strong, be fearless. Don't go with the crowd. The crowd is often wrong. And I've been thinking about this a lot and I have heard a lot of people say comments like this. Man, things are changing fast. This is not the same world I grew up in. 
This country's different. It's even changed in the last five years. You can't keep up. You can't keep up with the language. You can't keep up with all of the, the sort of the cultural sensitivity stuff. And you know, we have something coming up in a few weeks. Now I'm only gonna be out, I'm only planning to be out one Sunday and then we'll be back at the end of the month. But then that very next week, folks, we have midterm elections. And you'll never hear me stand and tell you a person or even a party to vote for because I'm of the party of Jesus, by the way. But you're never gonna hear me say that. But you absolutely, if you are 18 years old, you should be out in the poll, you should be voting, and you should vote your faith. You are a Christian whether you are inside that booth or out. I don't separate faith and politics because my God is over my politics. I want to vote the way the scripture would have me vote. And you say, oh, it's just a midterm, it's no big deal. Man, it is a huge deal. You need to get out and you need to vote and you need to vote faith and you need to stand courageous. She said, well, all is lost. The culture's gone. No, it is not because our God is still on the throne. Man, it is not lost. It is not gone. We need a great awakening in this land. And if God doesn't give us a great awakening, what's going to happen? Well, I hope Jesus comes back before we find out. We need courage in a changing culture, courage to do the right even when others may not. What is courage? Let me define my terms today. Courage, generally speaking, is the ability and willingness to confront fear, pain, danger, uncertainty, or intimidation. Sounds a little like a cancel culture we live in. Physical courage is the ability and willingness to face physical pain, hardship, death, maybe threat of death. Moral courage is the ability to act rightly in the face of popular opposition, shame, scandal, or discouragement. So the culture says, y'all Christians, stop talking about this stuff. Stop talking about the Bible. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop. Stop. And I say, no, we will not stop. We will speak even louder, even bolder. We will stand and we will stand firm on the faith delivered to our fathers because we're going to deliver it to our children and our children's children and on and so forth until we stand before the Lord face to face. We will not be quiet. We will stand strong. We will stand on truth. Now, listen, we don't have to be ugly about that, but when we think of culture, what is culture? Culture is a particular form or stage of civilization, that of a certain nation or a period. It's also considered the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular society, ethnic, or age group. Now, what we're going to witness over the next 12 days are many great cultures that have come and that have gone. And you know a very common characteristic they share? This is something you'll find, particularly if you love anthropology, if you love history. What you'll find is that cultures typically go when the family disintegrates. When you find a family unit, mother, father, children, or even extended family down to grandchildren, when you find that unit in any culture beginning to disintegrate, you will find that that culture is not long for this world. That society is on its way out. How's the family doing in America, y'all? How's the family doing? See, one of the things I like about East Tennessee, one of the things that I've noticed about East Tennessee is there really is this sense of family. There really is this sense of the family unit is strong. Now, if you're from a crazy place with crazy politics and crazy ideas, I'm just kidding. You would hate it here. This is not the place for you, okay? But if you really are fed, and, fed up and sick and tired, 
of some of the wonkiness that's going on out there. That is a real word. Look it up. The wonkiness, right? Because they're acting like sprayed cockroaches out there, aren't they? They're crazy. This is a great place to raise a family because there's still family value in this area. And I don't know if you saw a lot of family value after the game last night, right? A lot of cigar smoke and other stuff. But the point is, we are in this culture for such a time as this. And we, as the people of God, are going to have to choose courage. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read one through nine, the book of Joshua, chapter one, one through nine. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, well, this shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This is a repeated verse from Deuteronomy. It doesn't just start in Hebrews. It starts way back in the Old Testament. God said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Okay, so what do we do with that? Verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go, that you may succeed, that you may walk in wisdom. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful promise from Scripture. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I don't believe those words are just applicable many thousands of years ago to Joshua and the people of Israel. I believe that you would say that to your people today, wherever your foot will trod, wherever you will go, I will go before you. I will be beside of you, in you, around you. I am with you for I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. God, thank you. Thank you that in a world where we may be let down in so many ways, in so many places, we will not be let down by our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you most for your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So I don't normally preach with these sort of statements. I, I really don't prefer to preach this way. I, I like to give you standalone theological truths, but I also want to keep it super simple today. So I'm just going to give you some statements to consider. I just want to give you some statements to consider as we walk through the text. The first thing I want you to consider as we think about how can I be courageous? How can I stand courageously in a culture that wants to cancel me and cancel my faith and cancel what I've known to be true my whole life? How can I be courageous? I want you to remember the plan of a sovereign Lord. 
Start with the plan of a sovereign Lord. God has a plan. Verses one and two, Moses has died. Joshua is his man. The, uh, the, uh, the mantle of leadership has passed over. And so God says, look, get up, Joshua. You go over this river. This river's the border. This is the Jordan. I'm going to get you to cross over this. And now the people of God, after all of these years, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, over 400 years of waiting for the promise, these folks are going to take the land. See, the work of God wouldn't stop even when a great leader had passed. Listen to the word of the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the minds of a man, but the purposes of the Lord, they will stand. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we Christians are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan. Even if it is painful at times, God has a plan. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been let down. I want you to know that God is able to heal your hurts and deal with anything and everything you're facing because God has a plan. You know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know you know it. And you know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope. Plans to give you a future. Well, remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Sometimes God's plans mean you got a battle coming. Do y'all remember one of the greatest fortified cities sitting in the promised land as Joshua leads the people? Y'all remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. You remember he would come against city after city and town after town and people that hated the children of God, people that hated the Jewish people. And by the way, they still do. There's still a lot of tension there. We'll be going in between areas of Jews and Palestinians and mixed areas. There will be A zones and B zones and C zones. And those in our travel group that have never been to the Holy Land, their eyes are gonna be like this. When it, you read the sign that says, don't go into this field, there are still landmines there. And we tell our people, if you wanna keep all your appendages, follow the signs. Don't go into the field. Why? Because it was a land of war. It is a land of contention. It is a land that has been and continues to be fought over. Little slivers of ground and people will fight and die back and forth and back and forth. And the reality is God said it's going to be this way. There's going to be a battle and you're going to have to stand strong and you're going to have to be courageous. The first key though is that God has a plan. Trust his plan. The second truth is this. There is the promise of a new land. The promise of a new land. I want you to think about this background. I'm going to walk with you through the Old Testament for just a minute. We just kind of take a journey, if we could, through the first couple of books of the Bible. In Genesis 12, God calls to a man named Abram. He's the first recorded monotheist in history, meaning one God. The first recorded man in all of human history to worship one God. He calls Abram and says, I'm going to make your descendants great, Abram. They're going to be like the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. How many descendants did Abram have at that time? Big goose egg, right? Was he a young man or an old man? He was an old man. His wife was an older lady. And yet God said, through a barren womb, I'm going to build a great nation. Because God always does that. 
He uses the weak or foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So Abram, which means exalted father in Hebrew, becomes Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And God indeed blesses him. And Abram has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob wrestles with God. And Jacob is renamed one who wrestles with God. Israel, wrestler of God or wrestler with God. And Israel has 12 sons. They become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. One of his sons is named Joseph. His brothers despised Joseph because he was kind of daddy's favorite. And Joseph unwisely told his brothers about some dreams he had about being raised above them. But Joseph is sold to slavery and ends up second in the land of Egypt only to Pharaoh himself because the, the iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chains about his neck. And so Joseph Joseph would be God's man to bring deliverance. And through terrible famine, God would deliver the family of Joseph, the Jews, and bring 70 plus to the land of Egypt. And Joseph would find favor in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Pharaoh, and his family would grow and expand, and the Jews were becoming like the stars of the heaven and the sand of the shore. And yet, a leader would arise, another Pharaoh that did not know Joseph and did not care for the Jews. And he looked at them and said, they're so prolific. They're going to overtake our land. Let's enslave them. And they do just that. And the people of God, the Jews, began their enslavement and they cried out to the Lord century after century after century. And after over 400 years, the Lord would raise up a leader, an unlikely leader, born to a Hebrew family that would have to give him away because there was a slaughter in the land. And so they built a little basket and they sent it down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter herself found that basket and drew it out of the water. And in drawing it out of the water, she would name him drawn from water. His name would be Moses. And so Moses would be raised up to be a great leader, not only in Pharaoh's house, but he would sense a, a duty to protect the Hebrew people and in so doing would kill an Egyptian who was mistreating one of his brethren. He would be cast into the wilderness for some 40 years. So a man who's 40 now becomes 80 in the wilderness. He's tending sheep and yet God begins to have an encounter with him through a bush that would burn and yet not burn up. And God would tell him, Moses, you're going to lead my people. And the stutterer said, but, 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 but God, how? How can I do this? And he would be able to take family along. And Aaron and Miriam would go. And God would make Moses a mouthpiece. And he would cry, let my people go. And yet what we would discover is that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, some of his own accord, some of the sovereignty of God, and yet Pharaoh would deny and deny and deny, and 10 different times he would deny, but on that 10th denial, when the death of the firstborn came and God passed over the people of Israel that had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and lintel, Pharaoh would say, get out of my sight, I never wanna see you again. Even after that, death in his own home, his heart would harden again. He would chase after the people of God, but they would cross through the Red Sea, not over, but through because God made dry ground. And when Pharaoh and his chariots tried to follow, God would collapse the water back on them and God would give the people of Israel a great victory. And yet they would whine and cry and bawl and gripe because they thought they went out to the wilderness to die. But God said, no, I've got a good land, a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember that's date honey, not bee honey. And it's got all of this prosper to give you, but trust me. And they would whine and cry. And only two of the 12 spies would trust God. They were named Caleb and they were named Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun. And God said, okay, I'll spare your life. 
And after that first generation died for 40 years, Moses would lead. He would lead well most of that time, but he made a mistake toward the end of his tenure and he struck the rock rather than speaking to it, doing uh, the exact opposite of what God told, but also taking credit for the miracle. And God said, okay, Moses, I know you still have bright eyes and I know that you're still my man, but you're gonna go up on the top of that mountain and you're gonna see the promised land, but you're not gonna get to enter therein. And so Joshua now picks up the mantle of leadership. Joshua stands at the precipice of the promised land. And God said, this is the land I've been talking about generation after generation after generation. And I would remind you, Christian, that you have a promised land. Jesus would say just before he departed from this earth, he said to his closest followers, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And the master carpenter said, boys, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Old doubting Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What did Jesus say? John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, I am your entry point. For Joshua and the gang, it was the Jordan. The Jordan would be your gateway into the promised land. For you and for me, it is not the Jordan, it is Jesus that is your gateway to your promised land. God has said, I promise you a good land, a land where you will have your own home, where you will be able to serve me and worship me eternally eternally, the promise of a new land, the plan of a sovereign God, but there is the power of God's perfect word. You say, okay, so I get it. You can kind of tell us a little bit about the holy land. You can tell us a little bit about the story of Genesis and Exodus and all of that. Okay, I get it. I get it. That's because for 24 years, I've been opening the word of God pretty much every day. Every once in a while, I'll skip a day of my reading, but I try every day to open the Word of God. It has nothing to do with seminary. It has nothing to do with preaching. It has nothing to do with a Sunday school lesson. It is I personally need to know the Word of God because there is the power of God's perfect words. Seven and eight, look at it. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. What is the law of Moses? Remember the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, written by the Holy Spirit, penned by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Bible says that God inspired the great prophets of old, the great men of old, and he penned the word of the Lord. So to them, to them, because Joshua was the sixth book. Moses had penned the first five. So the Old Testament Pentateuch, that is the Bible to them. And so he's saying, look, don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. If you want to prosper, if you want to walk in wisdom, this book of the law cannot depart from your mouth. Talk about it. But you got to meditate on it day and night. Think about it. And then do it. Be careful to observe all things I've commanded you. Talk, talk about it. Think about it. Do it. God doesn't measure success like the world does. We hear prosperity and we think money and stuff. God says no, prosperity comes from thinking about my word 
and obeying my word. How did Jesus face all of his temptations in the wilderness? I mean, he's starving to death. He's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. The tempter comes and says, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, quoting from Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, I have food from my father, Satan, that you know nothing about. It will sustain me and get me through. Now, I've always said, if Jesus needed to know the word of God and quote the word of God and live the word of God, I need the word of God. I need to know it, quote it, live it. See, the more you know the word of God, the more you know the will of God. And the more you know the will of God, the more you know the ways God works. And so you can trust him on the mountaintops and in the valleys. I mean, think about what these people were about to face. They were facing 2022. Everybody around them would hate God-fearers because they were polytheists. They believed in false gods. The God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the rain, the God of the harvest. But Joshua and the gang are saying, no, there's only one true and living God. And it's not those lesser gods, it's the one true great God, Yahweh, the God who is Father and His Son and His Holy Spirit. It is this God. Think about it. The people enter the land and they see all of these pagan worshipers. They see all of these heresies unfolding in front of their eyes. It, it feels much like what we're seeing today where we look around and we think, man, who trusts God? Who still believes in the one true and living God? And they had to put one foot in front of the other and everywhere their feet would trod, God said, I gave that to you. I gave that to you. I gave that to you. And on and so forth, all over that land, which is still a good land, a beautiful land. But you see, they had to seek their victory from the Lord. And the more you know God's word and the more you trust God's word and the more you obey God's word, the better equipped you're, you're ready for the battles because when God said, hey, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city walls over there six times. And on the seventh go, I want you to blow the trumpets and I want you to raise a great shout and I'll take care of the rest. Now, you know, if you were in the army, if you were just part of the people, you'd say, uh, Joshua, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. I never heard of a victory coming from marching a little bit and shouting. But brother, if you think kneeling was loud last night, I'm telling you, there arose such a shout that people for miles and miles and miles heard it and the walls of Jericho came crumbling down because God does what he says he will do. And God was true to his word. And Paul understood that. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also the Greek, the non-Jew. For all of us, the word of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus is powerful. It's not enough just to open your Bible here on Sunday morning. It's not enough to go to your grace group and study another passage of scripture. Do you really know the word of God. There's the plan of a sovereign Lord and the promise of a new land, the power of God's perfect word. Let me close with the presence of the living God. At the end of verse five, you know that very famous statement, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's coming out of Deuteronomy 31, six. It's also referenced way over in the New Testament in Hebrews 13. 
Those words, I will never leave you. In the Hebrew, when I unpack that language, it means I will not drop you. I will not abandon you. Now, coming in this morning, we've had Lucy all weekend. Our mom and dad have been at a marriage conference with the baby. They took Sophia because of Heather, uh, the way she's feeding with breastfeeding and all. And so they took Sophia, but we've had Lucy all weekend. She's been a hoot. Um, it's really a blessing to wake up with a little foot in your ear and another one jabbing your kidney. That, that'll bless your heart. And she's been a really good girl this weekend, but she's, uh, she's got in this phase where she's been to so many ball games now, she thinks she knows the national anthem. So she's singing the national anthem constantly, except she has no clue what the words are. So she sounds like this little curly-headed Pentecostal running around and speaking tongues with the national anthem. But it's the cutest thing in the world. So she's fiercely independent, right? She's two and a half, she'll be three in January. So she puts her little book bag on in the parking lot this morning, we get in, she's got her milk tucked under her arm, she's bebopping along. All of a sudden, her feet get a little tangled up and smack, she smacks the pavement out here behind the office. And we pick her up and immediately I notice there's blood everywhere. I'm sorry, Heather and Parker, if you're watching this and Cindy didn't text you. <laughs> there's blood everywhere. And of course, so you know my immediate reaction. It's like, don't get me dirty, man. I got to preach. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. No, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. We, we, we grabbed her, of course, and we walk her in. We go right into the, uh, the restroom there, and we get some paper towels. And thankfully, thank the Lord, thank the Lord, it was just her little lip. So she got a puffy little lip. They were already kind of puffy. So now they're a little extra puffy. Some of you ladies would pay big bucks for that. But anyway, so it's kind of puffy. And so, uh, but her teeth look good. There's no scrobier. There's a little thing on her knee, a little strawberry. But the whole time, we pick her up, the whole time, she said, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, duh, who likes to fall and bust your lip, right? I didn't say that. I just thought it, you goofy little thing. But, you know, we consoled her and loved on her. And then Cindy said she went to her class, no problem. And she's going to be fine. But nobody likes to fall. Nobody likes to be dropped. Now, we weren't carrying her, so we didn't drop her. But nobody enjoys that. And our Father has said to you, if you will trust me, if you will believe in what I've told you, if you will walk with me, I have a plan, I have a place, I have a purpose, I have all of these things, if you'll trust me, I will not drop you, I will not abandon you. And here's what we do, we think we're big boys and girls, so we go strolling off on our own, singing our words that we really don't even know what we're singing, and all of a sudden, bam, we smack our face. But if you're a Christian, the good news is, yes, you'll fall, but you have a father right there to pick you up, to dust you off, to love you, to kiss your wounds, and to say, I've got you. I'm not gonna let you go. I'm gonna walk with you through this. I'm gonna clean you up. I mean, you think about this. Think about these great leaders of scripture. Noah stood before a wicked generation. Moses stood before a hard-hearted Pharaoh. David stood before a mighty giant. Gideon stood before a Midianite army. Esther stood before a king, King Ahasuerus, that could have had her killed just for coming into his presence. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before a fiery furnace. Daniel stood before a lion's den. Paul stood before countless angry mobs. Jesus Christ stood before Pilate, Herod, a contingent of brutal Roman soldiers. How did they stand? Well, for all of those first guys, God was with them. But when you look to Jesus, you see God in the flesh. They stood because 
because of the very presence of God. And how are we going to stand in 2022 when the world is going far and fast from the truth of the Lord? We will stand because God is with us. We are on the winning side with Team Jesus. And remember, courage is not the absence of fear, but the acute awareness of God's presence. I am not telling you that you may never feel a tinge of old me. What's happening in this world? Why is everybody going that way when it seems that the word of the Lord is taking us this way? Why is that happening? I'm telling you, you will be acutely aware of the presence of God. The great theologian, John Wayne said, real courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Will you choose to saddle up, church? Will you choose to walk tall when all others may crumble? The great men and women of the Bible were not always totally fearless, no. Rather than being paralyzed by their fear, they were propelled by the presence and power of God. And the presence and power of God has made all the difference in my life. As the tide continues to turn away from Christ and biblical Christianity, far more than I ever thought, 24 years ago, I'm ordained in 28 uh, in 2000. Uh, no, no, in 1998. I think I said that wrong earlier. In 1998. Good Lord, Whew. Cindy, you married an old guy. Here's the thing. I had no idea I'd be speaking about the subjects to families and people, and even in preaching and thinking about what we're thinking about in these days. I had no idea. It's changed so much. There was a university study conducted where 10 students were placed in a room. Three lines of varying links were drawn on the card on the board and students were told to raise their hand when the instructor pointed to the longest line. Now this was not one of those optical illusions, didn't have arrows on the end. One line was obviously the longest, one was the middle and one was the shortest. Nine of the 10 students were prepped before the experiment and told to raise their hand when the second longest line was pointed out. So one student was the stooge. Well, you can probably imagine what happened. Test group after test group, the instructor would point to the longest line and the one uninformed student would raise their hand and then look around. 75% of them lowered their hand and when the test group was shown the second longest line, but said, identify the longest line, they would shoot their hands up and the stooge would put his hand back up. Why? What did the researchers conclude? Well, they concluded that many would rather go with the crowd than be right. And here's the reality. Have a beautiful wife and four precious kids, two granddaughters now, a church family that we adore. And the truth is the truth is the truth. So help me God, no matter what the world says about it, I want to live in the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, no matter what is said. And they say, well, keep talking, buddy, and we'll just cancel you. Well, bring it on, Bubba, because they haven't been able to silence the word of God and the ways of God and the will of God for all of these years. And there will always be a remnant of those saying, thus saith the Lord. Not everybody will crumble. Not every church will fall away. It takes courage to follow Christ. It takes courage to stand up, even when the whole world is raising their hands, saying, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. The crowd is often 
wrong. What are the keys to courage? The plan of a sovereign Lord, the promise of a new land, the power of God's perfect word in the presence of the living God. I shared the following story here in 2019. It was actually GCA Veterans Day. And so we were having a program to honor our vets and I closed with this because when I read this story years and years ago, it really touched my heart. I discovered it is a true story and there really was this horrible disaster. It was in the country of Armenia. It was 1988. Samuel and Danielle sent their young son Armand off to school. Samuel squatted before his son and looked him in the eye. He said, son, have a great day at school. And remember, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. So they hugged and the boy ran off to his school. Hours later, a powerful earthquake rocked the area. You can still read about it online. Armenia, 1988. In the midst of the pandemonium, Samuel and Danielle tried to discover what happened to their son, but they just couldn't get any information. The one radio station announced that there were thousands of casualties. Samuel grabbed his coat and headed for the schoolyard. When he reached the area, what he saw brought tears to his eyes. Armand's school was just a pile of debris. Other parents were standing around crying. And Samuel found the place where Armand's classroom used to be and he began to pull a broken beam off the pile of the rubble. And he grabbed one of the rocks and he set it to the side and he grabbed another and set it to the side. And one of the parents looking on said, hey man, what are you doing? Samuel said, I'm digging for my son. And the man said, stop. You're going to make things worse. And of course, Samuel's like, man, how does it get any worse than this? And he went back to work. As time wore on, one by one, parents left. Even a firefighter tried to stop Samuel from his work. But Samuel looked at him and said, man, why don't you help me? But he too would leave because it seemed all hope was lost. All through that night and into the next day, Samuel continued digging. Parents began placing flowers and pictures of their children on the ruins as a makeshift grave. But Samuel kept working. He picked up a beam and pushed it out of the way. And then all of a sudden, Samuel thought he heard something. And so he listened very carefully. But it was only silence. But then as he moved a few more pieces of debris, there it was, that muffled voice. Papa. And Samuel began to dig furiously until he could finally see his son. And the opening was wide enough and he said, come on, my boy, come on, Armand. And Armand said, no, let these other kids come out first because I told them you'd come and get me. And child after child after child emerged until finally little Armand appeared and Samuel took him in his arms and Armand looking around at his classmates said, I told them not to worry, Dad. I told them because you said you'd always be here for me. And 14 children were saved that day because one father was faithful. I'm here to tell you, we have a father that's even more faithful than that. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And when the culture seems to crumble around you and the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you have a father who's always digging for your good and his glory. So don't you fail to trust him. Stand strong as Jeff and the gang come up to join me. I would remind you that God has a perfect plan for your life. We met a sweet family in the last service. They were here for the very first time, and they said they had just come out of Fort Myers, Florida. We just had a disaster relief team down that way, and we appreciate so much their work because this family looked at us and said, we're here visiting to see if this is where God may want to move us because we've lost everything. 
You see, just a few weeks ago, a storm came through and it changed their life and rocked their world. And whether it's an actual storm or whether it's something more allegorical in your life, the truth is all of us are either heading toward a storm, in a storm, or leaving one. That is the nature of life in a sin-cursed world. And I would ask you, not just are you willing to make your home at Grace Baptist Church, that's a wonderful thing, but it's even greater, are you willing to make your home with the Lord Jesus? He has a plan for you. Not only does he have a plan, he has a promised new land for you. If you'll trust in the power of the perfect word of God, you can take what God has said to the bank and beyond, and then you can walk in the presence of God forever and ever. You thank him today. You trust him today. And I want us as a church family to be united today as a mighty army of Christ, lovingly and boldly demonstrating courage in a changing culture. Stand with me this morning. I want to say this, because I know Jeff and I feel very strongly about this. I saw such joy and exuberance last night. I told my son, I said, Bobby, this is quite the experience. We were blessed to be at that game from one of our church families. And I said, son, there are people that are going to be talking about this night for decades to come. We were riding in the car after we got out of the insane traffic and cigar smoke. We were in the car. We were coming down Clinton Highway, heading back toward the house. And I said, son, this may be a night you'll share with your children one day. This is momentous here in the town of Knoxville and for East Tennessee and for all Vol fans. It's a great night. It's good to be a winner. But friends, if we can get that excited and that overjoyed about a football game, and it's fine to be happy and it is fine to celebrate. I'm telling you that when one sinner who is lost comes to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, as we celebrated the beginning of the service today, if one person comes to the family of faith, there is more rejoicing through the halls of heaven, and they're not just going to talk about it for decades. It's going to be a victory to celebrate for all of eternity. That's something we ought to get excited about. Now listen, I want to make sure we're clear. I want there to be a joy and a happiness. I'm not asking you to jump on top of the church and tear the steeple down, okay? Don't go crazy. But what I'm saying is, let us show the world that if we can get happy over football, and we can, we ought to be happy over the Lord. Jeff, I interviewed a coach one time for Grace, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but that coach came into my office, and that coach said, now, Pastor, I just want you to know one thing, sir. He said, I don't care nothing about winning. And I said, then why are you wasting my time in my office, man? <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't get hired at GCA. I do care about winning. I care about busting heads in Jesus' name. I care about winning on and off the field. I care about winning on the court. I want to be the very best. You know why? Because I serve a winner, man. Jesus Christ is a victor. And through his blood, you can have victory today. If you feel like you're lost and you're a loser, man, come to the winning side. Jesus says, whosoever will may come. You may need to leave it with the Lord today. You know, I'll tell you somebody who won this week. You did a great job at his service. Pastor Brian did a great job honoring Miss Karen. I tell you what, Pastor Michael Thomas, he's a winner this week. Pastor Michael's been walking golden streets with Jesus. When we, uh, when we had his service in here, it was one of the sweetest times of worship. Sweetest time of Christian fellowship. Anybody that said afterward, you know, good job or this or that, well, that's the easiest one you can ever get, right, Pastor Brian? 
That sermon was written throughout the last six decades. That's the easiest kind of sermon you'll ever have because that man lived a life of victory. And you say, no, no, no. Well, it was Parkinson's and Louis Bible. Man, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Pastor Michael was winning. And if you want to know how, you can come today. Whatever you want to lay before the Lord, you bring it in these final minutes together.